What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect Podcast Show. My name is Paul Verzi, and today is Thursday, January 28th, 2016, and you guys are listening to episode 243. Um, I have a very special episode this week. Uh, got a very funny comedian, great guest for the show. So uh, before I do that, because we're going to sit and talk about a bunch of stuff, uh, I just want to get to the sponsors. As always, the Verzi Effect podcast is sponsored by GonzoFame.com. Go to GonzoFame.com for the best, most in-depth interviews with your favorite comedians of today. Um, yeah, Dave Gavry over there, funny up-and-coming comedian in Chicago, runs a great website. Uh, he's got really funny uh, comedians. And uh, as a matter of fact, my guest today... Um, has been uh, one of the people he's interviewed. Also, guys like Hannibal Burris, Doug Stanhope. Uh, the list just goes on. I had a great time with him, and it's a really, really good website if you uh, just want to hear about comedians that you either know and are established or up-and-coming comedians. So check that out, gonzofame.com. And uh, as always, support All Things Comedy. Uh, go to allthingscomedy.com. That's where the Verzi Effect podcast resides, and uh, they also did my album. All Things Records, and uh, my guest is also part of uh, All Things Comedy, so let's get into that. Also, follow All Things Comedy at um, on Twitter, at All Things Comedy. Now, my guest today is a, uh, is a friend of mine. He's been on the show before. I've been on his show many times. He also resides in Westchester with two children, as do I. Uh, Joe Matarese is on the Verzi Effect, and we were doing, we're doing this one through Skype. So he is sitting in his home, his beautiful home there in New Rochelle, New York. I don't know. Do you tell people, Joe, you live there? Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, it's all right. No, you don't have to edit that out. All right. That's, so what's going it's on, buddy? Row. It's, uh, it's going to be funny being on the Verzi effect, but I have a microphone that's going to sound different than yours, which it'll probably sound better to your listeners. But know that um, that's good. <laughs> do, you, do you even want to tell your listeners? What? Tell my listeners what? That I'm basically recording your podcast right now and sending oh, it so over to you doing, so we can do it this way? Yeah, so what we're doing is I've never done a podcast. Actually, I've done Skype podcasts with Joe before, but it's been through his soundboard. Um, but since today we're doing mine, we decided instead of him driving up, because he's got to go down towards the city later, so we figured, all right, you know what? I'll just do it like I'm doing yours, but we're going to do it the Verzi effect style, and then you just send me the sound, and I'll put it in. So uh, this is how we're doing it. Yeah, and basically people don't know that about Westchester, but it's so fucking big that just because you and I both live in Westchester it doesn't mean we're near each other. You're like 45 minutes from my house. Yeah, like other people, like if they live in the same county, it's like eight blocks, and they could be... <laughs> <laughs> you know hey, like, i'll be right over paul yeah see yeah. you see you in no, a decade we're, we're a good 45 we're a good 45 minutes away with no traffic and i want to tell your listeners right at the top i am completely mentally fried and i hope uh, i hope i can deliver in this podcast i had some writing gig paul i had a well, i'm glad you i'm glad you wanted to come on to this one <laughs> being fucking yeah <laughs> I, I love that. Hey, dude, let's do a podcast. I'm like, yeah, no doubt. Listen, by the way, dude, I got nothing. <laughs> it's true. Dude, I got nothing. I don't know if you're like me. <clears throat> you and I once in a while get these like writing gigs where we have to write like roasts and stuff. You and I have done them together where you and I teamed up to write roast jokes. I remember. Well, yes. some, some uh, guy, do you know Marshall Childs? No, I don't. Oh, all right. He owns the Laughing Skull in Atlanta. 
and he started this this like corporate kind of thing where he's hire. Well, I don't know if you would say hiring. Maybe he goes out and do does them, or he has other comedians do them. But he does these corporate roasts where you go in and you roast all these people that work at some corporation, and he sends ev- everybody that that I guess agrees to get roasted at the company has to answer this like fifty seven question questionnaire that he sends them. And then he has all their questions, and he sends them to you as the writer and says, write me jokes on all these guys' questions. Dude, What? 57 questions, 13 different people. It would take like a good – it almost takes an hour just to read their answers. You know what's funny about that? And, and it's probably somebody getting roasted who's not famous, right? No, it's people that work at this corporation. It's all corporate people. So their questions, when they answer, they'll be like – what is your dream day? And they're like, spending the day with my children and my wife yeah, see, that no, I love. That's, that, that's what I mean. When you go, when that, that, my whole point of asking that question is when you, so many like people think it's like a great idea to roast a friend <laughs> or to like roast, but like, and I, I never even understood like when comedians that aren't famous want to get roasted. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to try to be a dick and say nobody cares, but it's like, you know, you, a roast should be, you could just pick somebody out and just destroy them without never having to meet them. You know, mm-hmm. like if somebody said, hey, Joe, write some roast jokes on, uh, you know, Taylor Swift. You would just be able to just like listen to a couple of songs, know who she is and crush her. Right. Just uh, with your comedic stuff. Uh, but I get it. But listen, money's money. Corporate gigs are cor- corporate gigs. And people think it'd be funny to I, roast a friend in fucking accounting. I think his questionnaire move is a good idea, though. Like if it was For just it roast is- them, it would be hard. But because... There's these questions, and um, and you can just slam them. But the, the funny thing is, is I realize as I'm writing, I'm like, these sound like how I would say them. Now some other guy's gonna do it, and it's just it's not gonna be me. Like some of the ones I just wrote, I got to give you an example here. Let me let me pull up the file if I could just let's think of who who I I was like, oh, <laughs> well, one guy was obviously gay. It was pretty funny. Uh, let me see if I can find him. <laughs> the gay cool. guy. The gay guy. I'm like, well, it's funny because I'm reading his his answers to certain questions. And in my head, I'm going, well, he's got to be gay. Uh, he's definitely I'm going, he's got to be gay. I'm just thinking that. And then I get to one of the answers and it's like, I got fired because I was gay. And I was like, I knew it. It oh, was just funny. because like uh, to one of his uh, ho- his hobbies, one of them, had said, um, or, or what? what? <laughs> Blowing guys in the back. <laughs> One of them was like, "What what sports did you? What, what were your hobbies as a kid?" And it said playing baseball and gardening. I was like, "That's hilarious." Oh, he's he's gay, and like that was one of my jokes that like all the other kids are out there, you know, going, "Hey, batter, 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 hey, batter, batter." I go, he's sitting there over in right field, going, "Would you look at all these dandelions? Jeez, this place needs to be fertilized. It's disgraceful." That's, like, that's one of my jokes, and I'm just like. Uh, it, was, it was it was a fun little thing, but if it, dude, if I don't think I could ever be a, a writer, like have that be my job, because my brain is so exhausted from doing this, and it was just three days. I'm like, could you imagine if that was your job? You were a writer for Conan. No, you had to just show. You've submitted for those jobs though, right? Like no, I Seth stopped. Myers. I stopped. I did. 
Yeah, back in the day, I remember I submitted for a couple of late night shows, and it was just one of those things where my manager was sending me stuff saying, "Hey, they're looking for people." And I, even like before, like a, a while before Colbert got the gig, they were like, "Hey, Colbert's looking for people." But I gotta tell you, man, when I wrote for that, um, I was in a writer's room just a couple of days for that uh, AOL Originals show, and. Although I was with friends and had fun, I remember just sitting there and I remember just being like, wow, man, even when you make good money and you're writing for a show that's either popular or whatever, it really is like that nine to five, dude. Like I'm a comic that's just not built for it. I'm just really not like I need that. You know, for me, work is going to the airport and dealing with the travel to get to my hotel to do my gig. Like that's other than that, like sitting in a room. Like, and the first hour is fun because you're like, hey, what about this? What about that? And then all of a sudden, people are like, all right, we're going to get lunch and we got to get back in the office. It's like, fuck this, dude. <laughs> yeah. You know? As a comedian, your natural tendency is to not come back from lunch. <laughs> like, that's just, if you don't want to come back from lunch, you comedy was the correct choice as your career. Yeah, yeah. And, and I always, and I don't want to be disrespectful or insensitive to people with day jobs, but... The whole idea of getting an hour for lunch or you get in trouble to me is fucking crazy. Like it's just it's like it's just there's such a uh, just it just seems very much like um, I don't know, like like you're like you're caged. Like, yeah. you know, and I think because we have wives and kids, something can trick you where you because let's face it. I mean, I could give you a number out there for your listeners. If a guy gets a starting writing monologue writer for, say, Conan or um, Jimmy Fallon or something like that, it's over $3,000 a week. It might be four, $4,500 a week. So you get that number in your head. Uh, I immediately <laughs> multiply it by how many weeks are in a year <laughs> instantly, and I'm like, wow, that's that's good money. Wow, I wouldn't have to worry about my mortgage. Oh, my God. Yeah, but then all of a sudden... I guess I'm finally maybe I'm finally at a good point in my career because I'm finally able to go. I didn't I didn't get into this for uh, a fucking job that like a job like where I have to go in at the same exact time every day. I asked <laughs> I asked my manager I go what are the hours? He's like uh, I don't know. You probably get in at nine and you're done at seven. I'm like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Can you imagine using your brain to write and, and you got to write about 50 jokes, 60, 75 jokes in a day? Yeah. No, you know what it comes down to, too? It's that it's I think people that are really serious about the art don't get into it for the money. And I think when you don't get into comedy for the money, it's easier to say no. If you get into comedy for the money, then the art is second. Right. You know, like and if the art is second, then sure. Yeah, let me get a show. Let me write. I don't care. I got into this to make money, and that's very rare. I don't think anybody in their right mind goes, "I'm going to start doing stand up because I want to for the money." You know what I mean? I think yeah. that, that the money is a byproduct of getting great and and getting better at it. So, uh, no, but I'm with you 100. percent So, and the last thing is the benefit of uh, of writing your jokes when you're a comedian is to get up and perform them, and 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 that feeling we get when they work is like an amazing euphoric feeling. I just spent three days writing these and some other person who I don't even know is going to go do them. And there's no way he's going to be able to like what I just said to you. I don't, I can't imagine some other guy saying that funny. I don't, I don't know why. Oh, you mean that with the gay guy? I, yeah. Like I said, you got to, uh, 
you got to uh you got to I want a video. I want to see the I want to see whoever's going to do it do it. I mean, I just spent I spent 14 hours. Like that doesn't sound like my brother goes, that's not a lot of time. I go, "Dude, when you're a comedian that has his own podcast, you're going on Paul Verzi's podcast too. Then you're going on Artie Lang's podcast, and then you went on Nick DePaulo's. I mean, you got two kids. I got two kids. <laughs> I've been on like nine podcasts. I had to do morning radio this morning too. I had to do some phoner to promote some gig in Ridgefield, Connecticut tomorrow night. I'm like, you know, by the way, do you know where you're going to be in Ridgefield, Connecticut? Is five minutes from my house. Is it really? Yeah, that Ridgefield Playhouse is like literally five minutes. Like you're going to be four miles from my house tomorrow night. I was actually going to do that gig with Bobby Kelly and I got changed. I went I went on um, I went on a tour. It was when we did the Midwest tour with Burr and Bartnick. And uh, I wanted to do the Ridgefield Playhouse, but I heard it's awesome. And it's literally because, you know, when you make a right out of my um, when you make a right out of where I'm living at, like I'm a few miles from the Connecticut border. You but- go by the bull and you make a right and you're there. No, the pole's on the top. I'm at the bottom. Yeah. I'm not on the bottom. Uh, that's I've, been, I've been to the Ridgefield Playhouse a couple times. I've opened for Artie Lang there twice. It's amazing. Oh, okay. The place is beautiful. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, to doing that sometime, but that's funny. I'm actually, I'll be really honest on your podcast. I've been doing this lately. I just burn bridges for myself on people's podcasts because yeah. I, I just don't care. Yeah. But I got some really shitty deal on this Ridgefield Playhouse gig, right? Some uh, some comic booked me, and uh, I didn't know it was the Ridgefield Playhouse when he booked me. He just calls me and goes, it's a theater in Connecticut. And I'm like, all right, and he gives me a money amount. Okay, I'll take it. Then, like, two weeks later, he sends me the flyer for the show, and, he's, and he has a title for the show. He's calling it Three, Got, three of Dave's Favorites, cause, and he picked three comedians that have all done Letterman. Now, already, he never told me that when he booked me. I'm like... <laughs> You, now you're theming it? I didn't. Okay, it's got a theme. And then I see Ridgefield Playhouse. And I go, dude, I've been trying to do my own show at the Ridgefield Playhouse. Why didn't you tell me that when you booked me? Now I can't go do it myself. Oh, boy. And then he's like, oh, he's like, can you, can you, do, can you do a lot of promo for the gig? Can you go on podcasts, social media, blah, blah, blah? <laughs> I go, well, what do I get if like we do well? And he goes, Dude, I'm going to I'm going to throw some incentive in for you. I swear to God. He goes, "If you can sell out 500 seats, I'll give you an extra $100." I swear to God, that's the number he says. I go, "Dude, <laughs> do you know how much a comedian makes if he can sell out 500 seats in a theater?" I'll, I'll give you a guess. And this is like a low guy, uh, not like a Bill Burr and Artie Lang. Like this is just like not a like a guy like me or you, Paul. How much how much would you expect to make if you sold out 500 seats? What would <laughs> a lot you expect? More than 100. How, how, how much would be your total take for the gig? I mean, oh, man, that's a hard thing to say because it depends what's, what's the price at the door and all that shit, you know? Well, you, we can guess. You and I, we probably, what do we charge? 25 to 30? That's, what, that's the most we could probably charge and people would pay it. They're not paying 50 to see you and I. It's just, it's a fact. Well, I mean, I'm not at a level where I'm going to go into a theater and pack it out for 50 bucks yet. So No, that's I what mean, I'm saying. So say we yeah. we make the ticket $25. Let's do them. Like, that was my joke to my agent. I go, do they not know comedians know how to do math? I can do math. I have a calculator on my iPhone. $25 a ticket times right times uh, 500 Right. $10 a ticket's 5000 Yeah. $20 a ticket's 10000 well, maybe this person doesn't understand, though. Like, it sounds comedian. like the person doesn't understand. He's a comedian. 
But this is what he didn't understand. I go, dude, for a hundred dollars. Is he one of the comedians on the show? Yes, he's hosting it. He uh, goes, I go, dude, for a hundred dollars. I don't want to be a dick. I go, I can't go anywhere and promote that. Do you understand? A comedian has other gigs. So if I go and promote the Ridgefield Playhouse, that if I sell out, I get an extra hundred. Now they're not going to come to my show February thirteenth. That is the one that I am making a lot of money if they come to. Do you see how it's like a, it's a juggling act? Like why I'm on your podcast right now is I'm promoting a theater that I'm doing in uh, Haddon Township, New Jersey on February 13th. Like that's why I'm here. That's the one that they're not giving me a hundred dollars. Uh, just so people know, Joe Matarese, like he gets to this honest point where you bring you- it out of me, Paul. No, you are one of these guys. I've never seen anything. You've already said this on your podcast. Uh, uh, have I? <laughs> yeah. Or where, I I'll, where I'll say something honest about my wife and how I want to fuck her friend or something like that on a no, podcast. No, just like, no, but even at a, um, we might have talked about it on your podcast, but <clears throat> excuse me, like you'll be at a show and like the owner and booker will be standing in the room and you'll be like, why is it? Who would light something like this? I don't this? do that this- anymore. I, oh, th- I oh, For years I did that. For oh, years. Oh, you don't you stop that. No, no, no. That's when you and I talk about anti, well, I take antidepressants. I don't even know what you call what you take, <laughs> but it made me not do that anymore. I don't overly worry. You don't worry no. about what's going on. Okay, no, I used you. to. I used to bad. I would change the sound, the lights. Dude, there were times where I'd ask for a ladder. A ladder. What comedian goes, can you get me a ladder so we can angle a light a little differently? Like, that's I think you don't work at those places anymore. No, they would get pissed. Oh, boy. Yeah, so basically that gig, you know, if I sold it out, should probably pay uh, eight to $10,000. That's what a comedian should probably walk away with. Just know, comedians out there, if they listen to... The Verzi effect. You sell out 500 seats at $25 a ticket. You should probably make uh, 80% of the ticket price. You know? I mean, you should definitely be making more than 100. 100 bonus. <laughs> like, <laughs> Even comedy clubs will give you 500 for a for, for a sellout. They'll throw you usually. 500. So did you guys did you guys sell out the playhouse? Is it sold out? Oh no, this was hilarious. He contacts me and he goes, uh, "Yeah, the ticket." Ticket sales are are low. And I'm like, no fucking kidding, dude. I'm not promoting this anywhere. This is a secret. You're lucky I'm saying it on the Verzi effect. Oh, Jesus. And and then I said, well, this is the part that sucks for me. What if I want to go do the Richfield Playhouse in a couple of years? And they're going to remember that we didn't sell tickets tonight. And who, who are they going to blame? They're going to think I'm not a draw. They're not going to know that guy gave me a shitty deal. They're not going to know that. Right, right, right. I'm fucked. I got to tell them when I get to the theater, listen, there's 80 people here because there was a $100 bonus if That's I sold funny. it That's funny. You get there, you just start prefacing. Like, you just you preface the night by like, hey, listen, it's bad, not because of me. Yeah, it's me, Moody McCarthy, and Adrian Apolucci. And Adrian texted me too, and she's like, is he asking you to promote like crazy? He's mad at me. He said he's mad. Oh, the theater's Moody? Mad. It's Moody and Adrian. Adrian was texting me that. Adrian Apolucci. No, all... but Moody's the one who's putting it together. No, 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 no way. No, no. Moody's the greatest. That's we're the three comedians on it. There's a fourth comedian who's hosting it. I'm not going to say his name. Oh, okay. But because I was going to say Moody's the greatest. No, he's the best. Moody's low key. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you, Moody, and Adrian, that's a great lineup. You guys are on the show, and there's another comedian who booked it and put it together, and he's the one hosting it, and he's the one having you guys, you know, he's the one giving the bad incentive, and he's the one having you guys go crazy to promote it. Yeah, all he had to do is pay us a normal amount, and he should have have called us in advance saying, I'm going to put the three of you guys together for this Letterman thing. I'm going to say it's Dave's favorites I'm, this is what he should have said at the beginning before he even found the place and i'm going to bring it into the ridgefield playhouse what kind of deal you think we should make with them he should have been out in the open and i would have said ask for this and then ask for, here's the next stage if you sell 300 seats you get this if you get 400 seats you get this and a sellout you get the sh- you know you get a big you get a big kickback Make, right, right. Make, make that deal. Then I'm a, we're on social media. I'm plugging it everywhere. I'm going to drive to radio stations. He wanted me to drive to New Haven to do radio. I go, dude, hundred <laughs> that'll cost me a hundred dollars in gas. Uh, what are you what, what are you talking about? There's no way unless you gave me an insane flat fee. I just don't understand how somebody could say, here's what I'll give you another hundred. Like that's so insulting that it tells me that the person doesn't know though. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't. No, That's what I mean. Like, I don't think, I don't think he's not mean and cheap. He's clueless. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it sounds like to me, the guy you're talking about just doesn't know. Like, I mean, to say to a comedian, here's what I'll do for you. If we sell it out with 500, I'll give you an extra hundred. Like, Anybody else would just hang up the fucking phone. No, I actually believe the I believe this guy that he didn't know and that they're not going to give him much money for a sellout like he didn't know that, the you know, that he should have asked for more. He hasn't. I do believe that. Well, what does Letterman think? I mean, he's the one who says (laughs) you guys are his favorites. (laughs) <laughs> is let i mean if letterman, like, does letterman do anything he's in connecticut that would be nor if norm mcdonald was on the gig that would be his opening five minutes oh yeah he's so like i, I don't yeah. even know dave liked me i mean yeah yeah that's 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 <laughs> hilarious that's I'm his hilarious. favorite it took me seven years to get a rebooking so wait the theater the, so that's the theater seats i thought the, i thought it was bigger than 500 it's only a 500 seater I, I think it's 500 550 okay, so, maybe oh so it must look small then it's like it's intimate, but it doesn't. It's tiered. It has two tiers. It's very nice. It's nice. it's almost if you've been. It's five minutes from your house. It almost looks like you're you're not at a theater. You're. It looks like they built it onto a school or something. It's and, oh and, okay. And that town's really nice, Richfield. We're, no, that's 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 uh, we go there a lot. So yeah, that's that's plugging the shit out of the wrong gig. That's hilarious. <laughs> I that's... need I need the February thirteenth Ritz Theater. At the Haddon, uh, in Haddon Township, New Jersey. That's the one I'm really I already see. JoeMatterese.com for tickets for that. That's the one I got to sell out. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Let's talk about that one. Which which one is that now? That's only 350 seats. And I had an article come out today in my in the newspaper that is big down in South Jersey where I grew up. And hopefully that helps sell it out. And this is February 13th? Yeah. All right, February 13th, if you guys, any of my listeners are in that area, make sure you go down and see Joe. Joe is hilarious. You'll have a great time. The last time I was in South Jersey, or the last time I was down that way, me, you, and Burr had arguably, I mean, in my opinion, you know, I've been uh, fortunate enough to be involved in some pretty amazing and and epic shows, you know, but I got to tell you, man, this is, this was right up there. That Wells Fargo was right up there with, uh, in my opinion, it was I actually got to be honest, I had more fun at Wells Fargo than I did at the Garden only because 
there were there were definitely like the garden started going off great and then there were some sound issues but dude Wells Fargo we had a I mean what a night that was 10,000 plus that was insane dude. it was my first time going to a cigar bar also and smoking a cigar and drinking a little bourbon and w- with you and Bill and Bill's manager that was su- and then we went and got cheesesteaks afterwards like I'm oh. at I'm at the you're, you're you're still a younger comedian than me so you're like you're like the gig the gig and i'm like talking about what we did after it like that's- no what we did after it was great that that cigar bar was really nice i totally forgot that we were on a mission to get a cheesesteak and we should i remember my stomach being a mess after that well i remember listen i actually somebody te- somebody i'm friends with texted me said burr talked about you on his podcast about the wells fargo show so i went and listened and I don't even re- remember this. He said that you and I were like falling down drunk walking into the cheesesteak place and we were talking loud about people and he was like getting embarrassed and, and saying that he was sober. I'm like, I don't remember him having let did we drink more than him. Yeah, no, I think he stopped drinking or me and you had a couple of more, you know, <laughs> typical married guys trying to get in the last licks. <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, so me and you had a little more, but I think what we were doing is it was just filled with all these fucking animals in there. It was a shit show. It was like two o'clock in the morning. There was a huge line. I think somebody had their kid in there. Like it was just a mess. <laughs> and me and you were like clearly going like, look at this guy or like this guy. And there was a guy being really loud. And Bill was like, dude, you guys got to shut up, man. Like, I don't want to get, you know, you guys, we're going to get our asses kicked. But uh no, he did talk about you, dude. You killed that night. I remember you were really nice when you got on stage and you addressed me killing on stage and then you fucking killed and then Bill came up and killed and it was just like – and the funny thing was, you know, the whole Phil- – I have like – I feel like I have a connection with Philly now because of that because, you know, we, everybody was kind of like, wow, this is Philly. It's in an arena. There's over 10,000 people for a comedy show. It started almost 40 minutes late and those people in that building could not have been – it was almost like, could you imagine like going into Philly, 10,000 people, and when you're in a setup, they were quiet as can be? It was amazing, dude. It was fucking amazing. I still remember you and I were backstage waiting yes. to go out, and yeah. and you, you made me write down like a like an exact script of how I was going to be the voice of God backstage and, and introduce the beginning of the show, and oh, everything yeah. you said was like dead on. Yeah, because – and you know why I did that? Because we would go to shows on the road, me, Lawhead, Bartnick, Bill, and all of these beautiful theaters would go, hey, uh, do you guys have somebody to announce? And I would never go up first. It would be usually Lawhead, and Lawhead loved to do it because he always – like Lawhead's dream job was to be the guy at basketball games, being like, good evening, or like call a basketball game. I so would like, love La- to do that too. Oh, dude, Lawhead would come out. I swear to God, he took it so seriously, Joe. He'd be like – Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Chicago Theater. Tonight, <laughs> we are proud to present Bill Burr. And then he, and then they would all fuck it. And I'm doing it exactly like him. And then they would all laugh, and then he would go like, he would be like, uh, Bill brought uh, you know some of his favorite comics and friends here tonight, and blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, first. And he would just fucking give you this like, he's blah, 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 blah or this and that. Or like, he would announce himself. So he'd be like, he's known as one of the <laughs> tailgate, Rose Bowl tailgate legends. Keep it going for Jason Law. And he would do this whole thing. And it would be fucking amazing, right? He would do it for himself. So then we would go to gigs where, like, if somebody didn't want to do that, some, like, fucking stage guy would just be like, you know, all right, guys, uh, your first guy coming out. And it was just fucking. It sucked. 
So I, I learned. So when we were out there and Wells Fargo didn't have a guy and you didn't want to go or, or you were like you had family, you wanted to go like in the middle of the show or whatever or, you know, because especially in your hometown, you know, going out there. So you were like you were like, um, yeah, you know, you go and I was like, all right, then can you announce me? And you were like, yeah. And then I was like, all right, so this is what I've learned. And it nailed it. Dude, you nailed it. I still yeah. remember the moment. I'm trying to think the exact script, but it was something like what you just said when you were doing Barknick, where I went, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wells Fargo Center. It was like one of those. The Wells Fargo Center is proud to present Bill Burr. And it was like, like they went like, like it was like I said, ACDC. It was like so cool. And it wasn't too high end. Like I don't like when a when a guy goes on stage and he's like, "Are you guys ready to party?" Like I don't like yeah. that. Like what no, you said no, was you, better. Like the you, basketball announcer is a great comparison. Yes, you had a nice medium where it's not like uh, Bartnick did it at the Garden, and it sounded like he was bringing out Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> no, um, but like, he he, did, he actually did it good though. No, he the way he did it was good. He just had to be loud because it was so big, but. The craziest thing about Wells Fargo, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do, but you know, you kind of stay more stationary on stage than I do. You know, but I I remember being up there and like kind of stalking the stage, going back and forth like I do. And at one point I just looked up to the right and it was like three decks like up where the luxury boxes were. And I saw somebody's silhouette in a shadow so far away, yet still paying attention. And that's when I was like, this is really cooler than I thought it would be. Because, you you know, you think an arena is going to be a shit show and not be. But it really is like if you get people that are really into comedy and they just were. And I think that that's a testament to Bill's crowds. But, I mean, the, the cool thing is me, you and Bill will share that is one of the greatest. Like, like I said, man, that in the garden. But I had more fun because Philly didn't have any sound issues. Like you know, it was just it was just amazing. Oh, I loved it, and the, and, and your family was there. Like you know, like your family was there. Like my family was at the garden. Like my mom. One of the coolest things was like my mom saying to me, "I'm glad you know," because my mom was sick, and thank God because of medicine, she's alright. But she's like saying, "Like I'm glad I was alive to see that." Like when you do a gig like that, like your mom and dad. I remember you telling me before the show, you're like, "Yeah, my mom, my dad, my brother, they're all here." And it's just like watching you in the you know third I mean? tier too. That's what was funny. They were in the third tier. They were way That's up there. Hilarious. That's hilarious. My mom and dad actually told me this almost like gave me the chills and like made me tear up a little. They told me they high fived each other at the end of my set. Like it must have been one of those moments oh, where they're like, "Please don't fucking bomb. Please don't fucking bomb." And like it went well because I, you know. <laughs> Like, they high-fived after? Yeah, That's the like, greatest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, like, you uh, you know, because I have a son who's playing sports now, and it's similar. Oh, it's like I go to his basketball game, and I'm just like, if he makes one fucking shot, my wife and I are going to, like, hug each other for an hour. Dude, I almost puked before <laughs> Lucas's first t-ball at bat. <laughs> I swear to God, dude, when my son got up for t-ball for the first time, my heart was jacked up. I was more nervous for that than performing in a gig. Like it was just like a, like a busy gig, like walking in. Like I had the same, like if you walk into a 500 seater and everybody's there to see you, I wasn't as nervous as my son being on deck. 
and the, the and the shitty kid before him like hit you know what i mean and then my son just goes up and i'm hoping to god he remembers how to swing it and to keep his eye on the tee and the coach like you know and it was just like and then i remember he made contact with his first swing ever and he was just running to first and i was so happy so i couldn't imagine watching your parents you know my parents at the garden watching your child walk out in a legendary arena in front of tens of thousands of people and they have to be funny yeah. like you know what i mean so that's the life we chose i guess but and no it was it was awesome it, it, it actually there's there was an article that came out in the carrier post today to promote my february 13th gig and it was referenced in the article oh that's awesome this guy wrote an amazing article and i didn't even realize how much like rocky is a theme like i i, I didn't realize that i'm like the I'm, I'm becoming like the rocky comedian or something and he connected rocky through the whole article and he had different pictures oh, that's of right me. up your alley too. yeah he had and, I, and we sent him all these pictures of me like on the on the steps you know the rocky steps and then you know um me at at the Philly stadium and then me eating like a Gino steaks, like a cheesesteak and the, the whole, uh, the whole Rocky thing. And, uh, I just lost my train of thought, but it, I just, it was cool. Cause like I said, he, he referenced it in the article, the Wells Fargo center thing. And, uh, it, it, it was amazing. And like what you said earlier, I feel like people will remember me and it's weird. They do. They'll, 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 if you go to Philly and you promote something, you you got to mention that you did that because they'll go, oh, I remember that. They, they'll remember and they'll come and see you because well, of I, that. I, I couldn't imagine what it's like for you because even for me before the Garden and even after the Garden, people were like, wow, man, I heard about your Philly set. I heard about the Wells Fargo. I think so many people heard it. And I'm in New York. I mean, you, you're a Cherry, you're a Cherry Hill kid. So, I mean, that's like six miles away from Philly. And I couldn't, I could only imagine like, you know, when I did the garden, I had people like friends and family and people from high school that I haven't seen in like 17 years and people just going, wow, I'm at the garden. Good luck. And it's just because it, it's 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 did, actually bigger. Like, I don't think of it like that. We don't think of it like that because to us, it's just a gig. Did you it's have just a bigger gig? Can I ask you a question? Did you have an ad lib at the beginning of your set anywhere that referenced the connection of New York and you and where you lived or anything about anything? Yeah, well, what I said when I first got on stage, uh, I said, uh, this is amazing to be here at MSG. I, I remember my, my first bit. It was my first laugh. I said, it's amazing to be here at MSG. Um, this is incredible. I said, I'm from New York. And I said, uh, so to be at Madison Square Garden is amazing. I said, last night I performed for 19 people in Queens, <laughs> and, which I did. And, uh, and that got like my first laugh. But I definitely referenced being at the Garden and being, being a New Yorker and stuff like that. And uh, one of the coolest things ever was after my second or third joke hit, all of my jokes hit. And I remember after my third joke, this was before the sound issue, ironically. But I remember after the third one, I just go, Oh my God, I'm killing the garden right now. I remember, I remember that in my mind. And then all of a sudden there were rumblings of like sound, like, like it was a couple things, but I just stayed the course. And I, I told you the whole thing. It was like I was maneuvering and working and nobody really knew, but the jokes did hit and, uh, and everything worked out. But yeah, no, it was, it's pretty fucking amazing to walk out on that stage. 
<laughs> you know what was cool is when me, you, and Bill did the sound check at Wells Fargo, that was the first time any of us, or I don't know about you, but that was the first time for me, that was the first time where I was like, oh my God, dude, I'm doing a sound check in an arena, in a basketball arena. Yeah. And like just hearing the sound, remember? I, like, t- I tweeted wow. out, we videoed for like 20 seconds and I yeah, tweeted and it. I, I tweeted it out. It looks you know, cool. Said something into the microphone. It was so loud here. <laughs> yeah. It was like, holy shit, man. So that's uh yeah, this is this is definitely cool to uh to reminisce about it. But uh so I want to you know what I'm gonna do because we're 40 minutes in and you have somewhere to be. I'm gonna make this this is gonna be um this is gonna be uh I'm gonna do two parts of my podcast. Okay. So, so whatever you want to do. This will be one part with uh, Joe Matarese that I'll just upload this and and do a separate one here. But I wanted to uh talk about a couple of things and everybody go see Joe February thirteenth. Where is it, Joe, exactly? It is called the Ritz Theater. It's in Haddon Township, New Jersey. And all they have to do to buy tickets to it, and it is the Saturday before Valentine's Day. So if you're anywhere in that area or you want to make a trip out of it and stay overnight with your girlfriend or your wife, there's hotels are cheap down there. You get a hotel for, like, nothing. Come come, come and check it out. Go to JoeMatteris.com, and there's a link. There's, like, two links right on the main page where you can buy tickets to that show. February 13th, Haddon Township, Ritz Theater. All right, so you know what I'll do with you here is we'll talk. You, you're a, are you um, what would you say on a scale of one to ten with your uh, NFL football watching and knowledge? Where are you at in that in a one to ten? Where are you? Because actually, I thought you were less of a sports guy than you really are. You're more than I think people would think, especially like we've talked NFL. I know you're a big time Philadelphia Eagles fan. Um, but where are you at? You're probably like at a seven, right? Six or a seven NFL? Or would you say like a five? Well, it depends on whose podcast I'm on. <laughs> on Artie Lang's podcast, they always shit on me. But like, I don't know nearly as much. But like Artie's a savant. He knows an insane right. amount. Yeah, uh, yeah. My brother knows an insane amount. My brother makes fun of me. Like, because he'll be like, do you have a fucking TV? Do you? Fu- how do you not fucking know this? Like, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. The fucking Philly news doesn't come through in New York immediately. I, I, all right. I, don't, I didn't know hour one that Jimmy Rollins got traded to the Dodgers. It took me a couple <laughs> days. Like, leave yeah. me alone. Like, yeah, yeah. No, some guys are a little like those fantasy guys are a little. That's even more than me. But the NFL is such an amazing. It really is like the NFL, like. The amount of women that watch the NFL, like the NFL football is is, is insane. And um, did you watch the uh, NFC and AFC championship games? Yeah, I watched both games. I would I would say compared to you, I'm probably a six or seven. You're probably an, a 10 or a nine no, or a 10. No, you no, know a I'm lot more a, than me. I'm not NFL-wise. I'm, I'm, I think I'm good NFL-wise. But all around sports, like I got to knock some points off of me because I just know nothing about hockey. So like no, I can't. I'm talking I, football. Oh, if we're just talking football, yeah, I'm probably close to a 10 if you're talking NFL, except yeah. minus the fantasy. I don't do fantasy, but um, I don't know, dude. I think, you know, I'll do my official pick, obviously, next week before the Super Bowl, but a preliminary pick right here. I just, how do you bet against Carolina because of from top to fucking bottom? You can't. We were I talking mean, about this last night at the comic strip because I, 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 this is the show, my, my shitty knowledge. I was trying to say, and I thought I was making a great point. That's hilarious. That um, uh, Cam Newton shouldn't have done that crazy dive for the touchdown where he did the flip. I go, he's your fucking marquee player. And you must be like, uh. And then Vic Henley just cut right in and he goes, man, I watched him play at Auburn. He goes, that guy's 6'6, 250. 
he ain't getting hurt. If he goes in the air and flies and does a flip, <laughs> you're going to get hurt if he lands on you, but oh, he's fine. And I was just like, I didn't realize I'm such an idiot. I didn't know the guy was 6'6", six, six, no, he's, he's, I actually, I actually argued with that with somebody, and I said he was 6'6". Six, six. He's not 6'6". Six, 6'5". Six. Six, yeah, I think, I think he's like 6'4", <laughs> 2-something. Either way, he's gigantic. He's huge. And, and, um, but here's the thing. Denver's defense is the best in the league, and when they penetrated the offensive line of the Patriots, Tom Brady's running for his life, but Tom Brady's not mobile. If you penetrate Cam Newton, he's going to find a fucking – he's going to find a lane, and that guy's going to run. I'm telling you right now, I think that guy could run for 75, 100 yards rushing in this game because he just can break down a defense. I hope not. I'm going to be honest. I would love to see Peyton Manning's last game ever kind of go out like Elway. You know, he's lost already two Super Bowls and won one. This would tie him with his brother, and it would be a great exit. I got to be honest, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Carolina's defense is is slightly under the Broncos, but still insane. And I, look, Cam Newton, man, he could make a throw. He could run. You got to love. And I think Vegas has the odds at like. What are they? Well, I, I think the spread right now. Was it, uh, you know what, I'll tell you right now what the spread is, but I think I think it's moved up. It opened at four. Hold on That's one it? sec. It opened at, yeah, it opened at four. I'll tell you right now what it is, but um, I would, my guess right now, what do you say? My guess right now is I'm going to say uh, Carolina minus six. What do you think? I'm trying to remember what last year's Super Bowl went off at. Do you have any idea? What was uh, the point spread on that one? It was like four? It was Patriots. Where was it a pick em? No, it wasn't a pick. I don't think it was a pick em. I think it was like a th- – oh, my God, was it, it – I'm was, forgetting. Yeah, it I'm was forgetting. Clo- it was low if there was a spread. All right, here we go right here. NFL odds. It is three. So the Panthers are favored by three right now. Wow, I thought it would be – I thought it would be more just because, you know, wow. See, that means that, 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 means that Denver's D – people think Denver's D could do – their D was insane. You know, but Brady can't run. Brady runs like he's got shit in his pants, and this guy is an animal. So he he, do, he runs a lot better than the Eagles quarterback did. Jesus, um, oh Bradford. Bradford was if you he might have been the worst running quarterback in Philly history. <laughs> he was like it was like he was wearing cement boots. It was like I don't know. I didn't like the way he moved around. He ran like he was holding a microwave and trying to keep it level. <laughs> <laughs> Whose line is that? Yours. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's perfect. That is that's perfect. I'm not um, even touching that. Dead so, on. yeah, so I like I mean I like Carolina, but it's funny that it's only 3. Now, here's the other thing that I was talking about. I got into an argument with Burr about this and I'll bring this up to you. Um I'm into these uh I'm not going to get into movies now cuz we're almost at 50 minutes here. But um I was watching there's a documentary on Netflix called Champs. And it kind of talks about uh, Bernard Hopkins, Mike Tyson, and all this stuff. And then there's clips, things that I haven't seen of Mike Tyson, like from 17 to 20 years old when he was training up in the Catskills under Custom Auto. And he was such an absolute, like, Joe, do you, like the YouTube clips of him knocking people out. But when he was like training to be in the Olympics, he was knocking guys that were 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six out, cold, feet coming off the canvas so fast. So then there's a YouTube clip of what they would think would happen if he fought Ali, right? Now, Ali fought Frazier three times. Frazier only beat him once. But Tyson and Frazier, Frazier from Philly, uh, 
they're built the same, but Tyson was so much faster. So my initial thing was this. Ali's the greatest of all time. I, I truly believe that. And I felt as though he's a smarter fighter than Tyson and he would frustrate Tyson. And once it went on past the fourth or fifth round, he would have his number and beat him, kind of the way Vander Holyfield did. But I changed my tune. I think from 87-88 in his prime, when he would come out and just throw haymakers that were so fast and nuts, I think he would have caught Ali and knocked him out early. I think if they fought 10 times, Ali would beat him eight. But I do think Tyson would catch him and knock him out. Tyson was an. Do you remember watching Tyson when you were you? You got to remember those pay per views that went thir- thirty seconds. Oh, of course I did. That's right in my uh, right yeah, when right I was in- starting stand up. Probably like an eighteen, nineteen year old. <clears throat> I can remember. Uh, I think I was in 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 the, in the Caribbean. I remember doing some gig when he when he fought Michael Spinks. That was oh, yeah, ninety ninety one seconds. Yeah, yeah, and that one was hilarious. And I I thank God. I think. Because we were comedians, we didn't have to pay like thirty dollars to get into the bar to watch the game. They like let us come in for free, and it was just funny watching. <laughs> I, I used to love when Tyson would get really close to a guy and then throw that uppercut. Uppercut, that, yeah. That you couldn't see him even throw it, and you just like, why'd the guy fall down? And then they'd slow it down. They're like, oh, he <laughs> fucked him up. He just swung with an uppercut that was invisible. It was so fast, and that's the thing. Some big guy would just slow down and drop, and it would look like he got shot from somebody in the upper deck. (laughs) They would be fighting, and the guy would just go limp. Dude, but you got to watch. There's one thing, and for anybody that likes like documentaries or sports, it's on Netflix. It's called Champs, and there's a clip of him just hitting the bag, and you're going, oh, my, this guy, it was a killing machine. It was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. And his first title fight, he went up against this dude who was like 6'5", gigantic. The guy had the belt, and in no time, he was just knocking him around the ring like it was like he was a pinball. It was unbelievable, dude. But and What also I liked about Tyson is he was fun to listen to after a fight. Oh, like God. The, the, a lot of these athletes now, they're just not, no one's exciting, you know, when they're just talking. Like I'm, I, those are always my favorite athletes. Like John McEnroe, fucking losing his shit. Oh, like yeah. I used to love watching shit like that. And Tyson, I still remember. Do you remember? I don't, I'm trying to think which fight it was. They interviewed him afterwards, and he just goes, "He, he was making little woman noises in there. <laughs> he was going, ooh." Ooh, every time I snapped one of his whips, I still remember I, that. I love, I loved when he goes, "I broke my back," and and uh, and Jim Gray goes, "What? Like you mean like?" He goes, "Yeah, my sp- it's spinal," and like so he was he was Jim Gray. Or somebody goes, "You mean like in the vertebrae? Like something happened?" He goes, "My it was spinal," but dude, he was basically fighting with a crack in his spine, and he was just like, "But no, you're that's a really good point that you say that because when I was watching the documentary, nobody talked as candidly as honest as Tyson, even after like even when he told what's his name when he said, "This isn't in my heart anymore." He goes, this member, he was just like, he lost for like the third time in a row. It was at the end of his career. And he goes, listen, he goes, I'm, I'm fighting for a paycheck. This isn't in my heart anymore. I'm done. But it was just like, not a lot of guys would say that. A lot of guys would just be like, oh, you know, and just move on. But he was just one of those guys that had that vulnerability. Um, yeah. And you know what I mean? And, and like I heard in his one-man show, which did really good, the, the, the one-man show that he was doing in Vegas for a while, people said it was amazing where he was talking about how he's like, listen, I should be in jail for a lot of things, 
but rape is not one of them. And he was just talking about – and even like he was candid in an interview where he was like, yeah, I did three years as, a, as an innocent man and I really was. And he just has that honest vulnerability where like he even says – he goes, dude, I was a savage. I did awful things. Like he really shit – he called himself – he's like, I, I grew up in a, in a place where nobody should see you grow up and I did awful things. I feel like that guy is the type of person that would like admit it. You know, like he's just that crazy. Right. And th- you know what I mean? And he was just like, you know, I didn't do it. But no, I, I like what you said about that, Joe, because I was thinking about that. Not too many guys you see. A lot of great people and great athletes, they're like robots in the interview. You know, like like A-Rod. Yeah, you know, he gave me a good pitch and we're just happy to get this one. And they always kind of say shit like that where it's like, you know, even G- as great as Jeter was, Jeter never gave you. I like the guys that gave you like – that nutty kind of real thing, and you're like, wow, this is a real right. dude. You know? Well, you got to compare it to stand-up comedy. It's the same way. Comedians, we if you get a little crazy now, you're like, there's people tweeting, oh, my God, yeah. it made me uncomfortable. Yeah, like there there were <laughs> – we grew up in a time where like fucking Joe – who was it? Was it Joe Na- – yeah, Joe Namath is drunk on Monday Night Football saying he wants to make out with the girl. I was at that game. <laughs> like – you don't see that shit. Everybody's too protected. You don't see the crazy, like person yeah. doing some crazy shit right on TV. T- like you said, like Tyson. I'm trying to think who else is just like fucking. When Tyson nuts. Ty- Tyson said in the conference, it was in the documentary. He said in a press conference when he completely had a meltdown and lost his shit, he grabbed his dick, pointed at the guy, and said, "I'm gonna fuck you in the ass until you love me, faggot." <laughs> He, he said, said that? He said, yeah, he said, I'm going to fuck you in the ass, white boy. And he said, I'll fuck, you know, and the, you know, just thing. He said, I'm going to, I want to eat his children. Um, and like, I mean, those were the ones that went like a little overboard. Like Kanye West is doing that now, where right. I saw a tweet where Kanye West said he's the greatest to ever contribute to the music. Like he said, he's literally the greatest to ever create music. Like he's like on a level of that. He said, you know, he also said, what's that thing Burr said in his bit? He, uh, Burr said in his joke. He said his one regret is that he'll never be able to see himself perform live. He said that he's the, he's the greatest. He's better than the beat. What did he say? He said, um, yeah, he said he's the greatest to ever create music. Like when it gets to that level, I don't mean that. I just mean a guy who's like, yeah, you know, whatever. I fucked up. I thought I could do this. It's stupid. Like I like guys like that. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the, the vulnerable honesty. But going back to what I said, I watched a clip of Ali throwing his hands He's the only heavyweight that I've ever seen throw like a lightweight. That's how fast he was. That fight would have been fascinating. Here's what I would love to see if I had a time machine. Taking Tyson in 87 or 88 in a time machine to Ali's prime and letting those two just go at it would be, would be unbelievably fascinating. Because <laughs> he, I, I'm urging everybody, whether you listen to my show or if you listen to Fixing Joe, do yourself a favor and YouTube – Mike Tyson knockouts and Mike Tyson in his prime and just watch this guy throw punches that it's like, dude, if it hit me and you were dead or coma, (laughs) coma, just uh, body going limp, dead. Yeah, that was the I remember that being like the that was the hacky I've fallen and I can't get up joke of the mid 80s was about how people said I'll fight. I'll fight Tyson if you're going to pay me $10 million. He's like, yeah, you're not going to be able to even fucking count your money because you're going to be brain dead. Like, that was like the hacky joke. Oh, that was the hacky joke. Yeah, every what comedian you, had it. What year did you start doing stand-up? 89, like 89, 90. What? Yeah. Oh, you started in the 80s. I started, 
the first time I ever did a, a, uh, a set, I did an open mic in Woodstock, New York at a bar in 99, but I was getting up like once, barely once every two, you know what I mean? Barely getting up. So like, I didn't go, I haven't started going hard probably until like Oh three is when I kind of started to go like, you know, hard. So you probably like 13 years as a pro, but, um, yeah, man, I didn't realize you started in the eighties. So you must've saw a lot of guys. You must have saw a lot of guys in New York City that moved to L.A. or, you know, stuff like that, that just like you saw every you, – you, you, you started almost in the boom. Well, kind of. I'm trying to remember my if I ever had a Mike Tyson joke. You got me thinking now. I think I – Everybody had – here's what everybody had in the late 80s just from me watching like Evening at the Improv <laughs> and certain things. There was always an O.J. joke. There was always a uh, – well, O.J. was in the early 90s, but there was always an O.J. joke. There was always a Michael Jackson joke. Yeah. Like if I think of hack jokes that should never be talked about again, I think O.J. and Michael Jackson. Those two just – you cannot touch them yeah. anymore. I definitely had something hacky about Tyson and his voice not matching his body size. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, you would have to. So, oh, I think it was something like even Michael Jackson. This, I made it doubly hack. <laughs> I said even Michael Jackson was at home going, what a fag, what a fag. Something oh, like that. That was like the joke. Michael Jackson called him a fag. And did it crush? Oh, probably, yeah. I go, his voice is so high, only dogs could hear it. Something like that. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, that that's not... cool. What was the first comedy club you ever did in New York City? In New York City? Ever. Your first New York City comedy show ever. Mine was New York Comedy Club under Al Martin, which, by the way, under the new guy Emilio is amazing right now. It, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I like that place. Have you seen it? Oh, you said yeah, you saw yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen it. It's yes. nice. I was there last night. It was awesome. Did you hear they opened a comedy club in Yonkers? Did you hear about that? Yeah, I'm doing it. Me Man. too. Yeah, I'm doing it in March. I'm excited, dude. It's seven minutes from my house. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, what the hell did you just ask me? First first comedy first, club in New York ever. I think I did one of those bringer shows, like where you bring people. Yeah, no, they, that's what I did. I had to bring three people to New York Comedy Club. I think this, I didn't even live in New York. That's what was funny. How, how am I supposed Aarons. to? I had to like get people from Cherry Hill to come to New York. I think I did. Uh, I think I did stand up New York with just comedians were my bringers. I brought three comedians and paid their covers. And then the first time I did like a bigger show was like those bringer shows at Caroline's where they would videotape you. And I brought all my Cherry Hill friends and family, made them come all the way up. This is classic. You just made me remember this. You know that shell game they play on the streets in New York? Yeah, like you mean like what do you three call cards? It? The three yeah, card yeah. Monty? Yeah. My brother being such a suburb kid, he well, let's see, if I was twenty four, he's nine years younger. I mean, he was like a teenager. And he came with my parents. And I think they asked him to go put money in the meter. And when he went out there, they were playing three card Monty and he was just standing <laughs> watching. This shows you New York. And the guy says to my brother out of nowhere, he just looks back and goes, Which one do you think it's under? And he's like, ah, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. God, just guess. I'll let you guess. I'm not going to, you know, you don't have to play. Just guess. And my brother goes, eh, that one, the second one. The guy goes, you're right. You're right. You win. You win. And he's like, what do you mean? I, I'm not playing. You win. All you have to do is put money down and then you win. And he had my fucking wallet because I gave him, what? I just gave him my <laughs> wallet. I go, go put money in the meter. That's he a go, great story. He takes all the cash out of my wallet oh. and throws it down on the Monty, I think like 50 bucks. 
And the guy just grabs the 50. They grabbed, they had like a box set up with the game on it. Uh, And they just grabbed the box, grabbed my money, and just fucking run down the street. Take all my, my my brother was like, yeah, I lost it. I lost your 50 bucks. I didn't even, I didn't even been on stage yet. I'm doing a bringer (laughs) and I'm down 50. Thanks. I remember. Yeah, I remember I did a three-person. You had to bring three people. That guy, Steve Aarons, and I told people, they, you know, they told me I'd go on at 9. I ended up going on at 11, and it was they would all bullshit you. Great set. Yeah, I'm going to have my casting people look at you. He didn't even watch my set. Just fuck it, you know. I fucking dropped out of college because they called it an industry night. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I swear to God. I swear to God. Like, I wrote a letter to the, to the professor saying that, like, yeah, keep this. Maybe you'll see me on fucking, you know, what, SNL or some shit, you know. See me on SNL. I'm not doing this, and I dropped out of college. Um, but, anyways, uh, so, so uh, Joe Matarese this week at the Ritz Theater. It's not and, this week. It's February 13th. This uh, week. Oh, this week Fe- was the Ridgefield thing. Don't oh, co- yeah, don't come to that. I'm actually telling. Don't come. Don't yeah. Come. Don't come. Don't come. That's to the tomorrow Ridgefield. night. No, don't come. February 13th. Um, check them out. Is there anything else you got going on, dude? What's what's uh, what's going on? Well, the Fixing Joe podcast is at this uh, situation here. Uh, it's funny. I've been talking to these advertisers. I'll tell you this off the air, but I had, I had this idea. It's like I started thinking about a comedian like an athlete. I'm like, how come we're, you know, we're sponsored on our podcasts? Why can't I be sponsored? Like, like, like more? Gatorade? Well, like, <laughs> I started thinking about this. I'm like, if a company wants to advertise on my podcast, I'm like, I do a lot. Of, I'm on a lot of other guys' podcasts too. I'm like, like I'm going to Artie Lang's podcast after I, ha- you know, stopped this one with you. It's, I started thinking. I'm like, if this company wants to advertise, when <laughs> when you go on to another podcast, why well, can't Artie go, Joe? What are your plugs? And I go, my plugs. And then I say the uh, I do the 20 second commercial right there, and you know, like cover me. And then I go. To the advertiser on the phone, I go. I'll shoot. I'll do a joke about it in my stand-up. I'll video it. I'll throw it on. Uh... Are you gonna move your advertisers to other shows? Yeah. Why couldn't you? Because they go. Well, what are your numbers? And I wanted to go. Well, technically, if I'm saying it on Artie's, Verzi's, mine, Nick DiPaolo's, and but Anthony I Cumia's, I, I got high you. numbers. I could see you on Artie's and Artie going, Joe, you thirsty? Why? It's funny you ask. When I get parched, <laughs> yeah. I drink Gatorade. Well, I was com- <laughs> I was comparing it to Paulie and Rocky. The remember in Paulie and Rocky, the whole movie's like, I got an idea. Can I use your name? And he just starts oh. figuring out ways. You know, he puts that. He gets him the robe, but he puts like. The fucking uh, billboard on the back of Rocky's robe. He has ways. Like, why couldn't we? Why does Seth Curry get money? You know, for all these kids buying his sneakers. Why couldn't you and I go on? You know, we're opening for Bill Burr in front of twelve thousand people. Why can't I be wearing something from fucking Hugo Boss that they gave me that I go like we don't, like this? Because we don't drop thirty five points a night all over the country against great NBA professionals. But one thing I'm learning about. Uh, advertising (laughs) this is what i'm learning because i've been reading a lot about it and i've been talking to people that are in this industry you just lower the numbers oh yeah okay he's on every tv show he gets multi-million dollars there's no reason why you and i can't get a you know a thousand dollars to talk about it you know where he's getting a million dollars why can't we get a thousand why can't we hit a lot of singles that's the way i look at it that's hilarious do you disagree with me (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to call you delusional. Is that delusional? I'm not going to call you delusional because I understand what you're saying, but I just think it's, it's, 
because of the greater the masses. It, really, what it comes down to is the numbers. And the thing is, Steph Curry's doing something exceptional in front of twenty thousand people almost night in and night out. Now, I would agree with you. You just went on a tour with Bill Burr. How many people and saw it was amazing. you? How many people and, saw you in three months? Um, Jesus, a lot. Two hundred thousand people. Yeah, probably a couple. Maybe you know, yeah, hundred thousand people. No, I hear what you're saying. On a lower scale, you should definitely do it. But could uh, be sponsored by a bourbon that's throwing you some money, and you're talking hilarious. about that bourbon in your set. Why well, can't hey, we? What about cigars? There you go. Well, there, it, it's got to be something connected to you. That's what they say. These advertisers, they go. It's easy for me to sell a company if it makes sense that you're advertising it. Now, if you're Mister Cigar, it makes total sense. No, it does. That I definitely one hundred percent agree with you. I agree with that. They'll send you a box of them. You love them, and you're talking about them on every podcast. That's it. I'm calling Davidoff right now, and I'm going to tell them that I've been going out there, Davidoff Nicaraguan hard. I got people sending me pictures on Twitter saying, I just tried that Davidoff Nicaraguan you love, and I love it. Why not get money for that? That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. You're absolutely right. It's like that guy who wanted to give us $100 to sell out a theater. It's like... Why? I'll be the comedian that is good at math. I'll give you. Here's the numbers. I'm going on stage this many times. Joe, I'll, I got an incentive for you. Here's right. what I got for you. All right. Next time we work together, if you bring thirty people, <laughs> I get a t-shirt for you. I got eleven bucks. I'll give you. I'll. G- <laughs> I love how he's like here. I got an incentive for you. Like you're gonna be like, oh my god, maybe I'll get out of here with another couple grand. Dude, go read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Have you heard of this book? I know no, you have, do you have trouble reading? No, no. no. <laughs> like you said, I get tired. No. I all I read is sports. Read That's this all book. I read. Buy the audiobook. And my son's books for school. It's changing my life. I'm reading this book right now. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's about this Hawaiian guy that grew up. He had a very intellectually uh collegiate father who didn't have a lot of money. And one of his right. friends' dads dropped out of high school and was a multi multi millionaire and he's tutoring him how to make money through his life and he's comparing advice from the poor dad who has a good job and went to college to the poor guy who's a genius and I'm I read this whole chapter last night where I was just like it made me want to sell my house when I got done the chapter because it it was breaking it down in in pictures he was graphing it how people think a house is an asset they think it's a good thing. It's an asset. And he broke it all down. He's like, no, a house is a liability. And he was showing that rich people don't stack up liabilities. They stack up assets. I don't know if this is making any sense. No, go ahead. He's basically saying that um, lower your liabilities. Like a house is something that it keeps breaking. You got to keep fixing it. This happened. This happened. I got to fix, fix, fix. Money here, money there, money here, money there mortgages if you're paying your exact amount of your mortgage every month you're never knocking down the principal he's saying it's not a good investment you're not you know unless you're you're paying way over your mortgage payments every month you're just paying interest most of the time then you end up selling the house just to pay off the mortgage it doesn't there's no gain and then you go buy another one and you stick it in and, and you're back in the same situation and he was like showing that smart people basically uh they lower that and they they know how to invest their money 
to make money and that a house isn't a good investment. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, he's right. Because I started thinking of my house. Do you ever get this like this with your house? You start looking at it and you can see the things that are starting to go. Like it just naturally goes with the weather. You can see, you're like, all right, I'm going to need a whole new roof in about five years. The whole (laughs) house is going to need to be painted. I can see where it's like, it's going to eventually need, it's going to need it. Your your kitchen that's new now is going to be old or whatever. And it's amazing. And you sit there and go, the one of these, he said, this is why the rich get richer. Cause they, 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 they don't do that shit. They like, right. they, they'll spend their money on the thing that's going to make them money. They don't well, spend also, it on that thing. Right. What I, but I think that, I think what you're saying is true, but I also think that that's for people that buy a house that they really can't afford. I feel like that's for people that overextend themselves. I think if you buy an affordable house, I think if you drive a practical car yeah. and you watch but your money. But he's saying most people don't. Most mo- people and, and no, want most- nice stuff. Right. And I, I, yeah, no, that's true, man. There's all, all these books about how, it's funny you brought that up because somebody was telling me the other day, there's books on how to really manage money and how to deal with money. And many, many people don't. People spend the percentages of money they spend on their paycheck is opposite of what they should do. You know, people get a paycheck and probably spend 70% of it and, you know, or, or 80% of it. And it, you shouldn't because it goes to, oh, I got paid. So now I'm going to buy shoes. I have my car payment, my house. I'm going to do yeah. this. It's, it's, I'm going to eat well, out. He said, most of us, the more money we make, the nicer things we get. That's the mistake. Like, oh, I made more. Now I'm going to fix my kitchen. Oh, I made even more. Now I'm going to do the bathrooms. You just keep doing this stuff. And well, it's not worth I mean, it. look, when you when you when you hear about Bill Gates and you hear about Mark Cuban and these guys, what do they always say about those guys? They dress normal. They wear jeans like so like Bill Gates said he goes to, you know, goes to Macy's and just gets a pair of jeans and and wears a nice sweater. And that's it. Like, it's not, you know, I think people I mean, that, that documentary I was talking about Tyson, even Evander Holyfield, everybody calls Tyson dumb for blowing 300 million. Evander Holyfield is is had to file for chapter. Evander Holyfield had two two hundred million dollars. He had a fucking palace in Georgia, in Atlanta. He had a palace. It looked like fucking were like the Roman emperor. Like it looked and he had to get and now he went. Now it's like this empty, deserted. It's kind of sad. They showed pictures of the pool drained and like this beautiful. He had like this Tony Montana staircase on two sides going down. He had this gigantic thing. And it's just, I mean, they showed Mike Tyson walking a white tiger. I mean, the guy started buying exotic cats. You know, you heard about the thing where Tyson, he ran out of gas. So he just gave the car to somebody and went to like a dealership and bought a Ferrari or something. Like, it's just, I mean, I mean, listen, I, I wouldn't do it to that level, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think you got to enjoy your money, but at the same time, you got to really be—you know—you got to really be smart. People don't live within their within their means, you know. No, yeah, and it's just uh, that's why it had me thinking. I'm, i i was saying to you recently. I looked at your numbers on the iTunes list. I go, dude, you're on the iTunes list. You should be making. You could be making some decent money off of this podcast. Yeah, and I'm realizing it from all these people I'm talking to. And and if you get the right sponsor, like you said, a cigar. If you get these companies that you really actually uh, connect with. Like this guy was explaining to me on the phone, like Uber, for instance. He said that he started experimenting and he, he, he has like, he's bigger than all things comedy. He has a lot of podcasts, a lot of them. And he's explaining Uber is starting to work with him and how he's able to get free Uber cars for guests now. And he, awesome. and he said, so uh, he goes, you send your guest uh, and he comes up to your house to do your podcast in an Uber Lincoln town car. He's going to talk about Uber for fucking 10 minutes and he's not even going to be 
lying. He's going to say it was amazing. I was in the, the Uber guy was hilarious. I was in this black town car. It was amazing. It's like those are the best ads or when it's just like it didn't well, even sound like an ad. About- yeah, when you're passionate about something, it doesn't sound like an ad. Like exactly like you just said. If I'm going to talk about a cigar that I smoke once a week because I love it and mm-hmm. I enjoy it when I get home and I unwind and relax with it and it pairs amazing with a bourbon or a scotch, I don't even have to sell that. It's mm-hmm. just that's what I do. You know what I mean? So that those you're right. Those are the sponsors. And I always said to anybody, if you want to be a sponsor on the Verzi effect, I got to kind of believe in it. I got to kind of believe in your service. I got to kind of talk about it with a passion as opposed to just, and I think that like that comes across with listeners. Listeners are like, you know, like it's like when you're on stage doing stand up, you can tell if a crowd is into something and you're connecting or not. If you're talking about a product you like, you know, it, it's, and th- those are, that, that is, and I, you know, anybody, I, I said, somebody reached out to me the other day about, um, a ticket service like uh, sporting event tickets or like something like that, like a, a, a StubHub type thing. Like I like that stuff. Right. Like anybody like that. So anybody listening to my, how many you have sponsors, right? Um, I have one right now, but I mean they don't really pay me money. They I just promote their product, and they uh, they basically for everybody that donates, they send. Um, earbuds to them so it helps it makes more people donate to my podcast because they get a free pair of earbuds and four of my okay. four of my stand-up cds for their for their 40 dollar donation well you know what some companies do too i know uh i was talking to um some comedian that like smokes a vapor uses like the vapor thing that you smoke uh-huh. and he doesn't get paid from the company but they just sent him a vapor <laughs> like like these like if you plug it they'll send you like shit yeah. You know, to your to your house or whatever. You know, they'll send you a product that you like or believe in. So, like, if you was gonna talk, oh, I bought this Sony camera, and then like instead of Sony giving you money, they'll just send you the camera and to talk about. Yeah. You know, hey, I mean, I, anything, dude, anything. But you do gotta believe in it. You know. Well, that's what they say. I'm 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 not gonna say the name because like the number one podcast out there right now. My wife listens to it, and I don't need to promote it. I don't even want to say what it is. But they talk about that on the podcast about how. Um, you, you you shouldn't do a, a commercial that isn't connected to you, or it's just it turns your it turns your fans off. It makes them not like you. So he makes it obvious when he's going to do a commercial. He's like, you're going to hear this song underneath it. You know, it's a commercial. He's like, basically says it, and it yeah, makes no, sense. It, no, it's definitely a turnoff to do something that you don't believe in, or just to make mm-hmm. money and your people will see it. So I, I know somebody. I'm not going to say his name who has a podcast, and he had a company that. When he first started, now he's like one of the biggest podcasters. Oh, fuck it. Burn the bridge, Joe. It's not a bridge to burn. This is a positive. This is a good move. He was saying the company so much, and he came up with this funny catchphrase when he would say it on his podcast, that not only did he make a lot of money from the ads, he owns 3% of the company. They gave him a percentage of the company because they knew this guy's podcast is so big that if he's saying our company a lot, it's helping yeah. the company, so why not give him a piece? He's making our company worth more. You know, yeah. there's so much secret money out there that you like that we don't realize. I think because we're creative, we miss it. Yeah. Well, I need you know you need a business guy that knows what they're doing. Yeah. But like, there's you might be one of the worst in the history. By the way, who you? What not knowing? You're not. A, you're a not know. Like you're always like, what? What do I do? <laughs> How do I do that? And no, I always can I, yeah, tell like, you're not going to do just, it. 
I like, you know what I did though? I, I have been asking people if you want to sponsor and people have been reaching out to me and emailing me that they want to, but it does get to a point where you need somebody. Um, I was talking to my, um, you know, my listeners and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a subscription thing where I'm going to add three extra episodes if you want, kind of the Nick DiPaolo style. That's a good I think move I'm as def- long as you keep one for free. No, I, I, I've always told that I don't ask for di- donation. I don't do anything like that. You're always going to get the Wednesday night or Thursday morning one for free. You're always going to get that one for free. But see, but if you, let if me you cut. Listen- let me cut you off. You'll be on the fence with that idea when you realize that there could be more money made if you were doing the advertising the right way. Like you should one, you shouldn't be talking to the advertisers yourself. You should get a company yeah. that does that, and they work with the Verzi Effect podcast. Your numbers are good enough, trust me. And then they, they take a, you know, usually it's they take a high percentage, but that's fine because you don't have to do it. And they handle everything. You get that. And then uh, if you don't make it a subscription and you make you do four episodes a week and they're all free and you're placing those ads on all four of them, your money's yeah. going to be more than if you were charging. That's, yeah. that's yeah. what people don't realize. Yeah, no, it's 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 a whole other. It really is a whole other part of it. It's a whole other part of doing it. It's it's it starts off with, hey, I'm a comic and I have a microphone and I'm going to do a podcast. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I know people and I'm not going to mention names, but right. I know a handful of people that prob- can live can can live. Like not, I mean, I would never not do, I would always, I would do stand up if I was making a million dollars for my podcast, but there, you know, you can make enough money to live You know, it's, it's, it's really incredible, man. Well, there's people in stand, it's the same with stand up. Remember when we started, it was just, we wanted to get on stage. We didn't need money. And then it became, oh, I need 25 bucks. And then, you know, 28 years later, I'm like, this motherfucker's only wants to give me a hundred bucks. Yeah, to, to, for a sellout, and he's giving me this much for the, for the show. And I'm like bitching about it. So it's just the way it works. We've come full circle. Full circle. Oh, so you, so you, wrote, you wrote for the, uh, you wrote for the uh, gay guy or whatever. <laughs> oh, gay, gay guy. <laughs> hey, what are your hobbies? I don't know. Blowing Brendan under the gymnasium? Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So you, run it, you wrote for the roast, and you're going to go to Ridgefield Playhouse and hopefully make another 100 bucks. Yes, and then the, the, the big show on February 13th, Ritz the we haven't We haven't forgot. JoeMatterese.com for the South Jersey tickets. South Jersey, February 13th, the Ritz, Ritz Theater. Joe Matterese will be there. It's his neck of the woods. Don't miss it. I won't talk about money either. I notice that it gets really unfunny when I start talking about finances. No, you no, but you get you go into your phases. I remember your first phase was the real estate phase, and then and now it's the money phase. Uh, but always great talking to you, Joe. You this too. has been the Verzi Effect episode two forty three with special guest comedian Joe Matteris. This is going to be um, just one part, so uh, this will be um, part two, and I'm going to put both out today. So this will be out. Thank you for having me. Um, so those two things, you want those are the only things you want to plug? And your website, Joe, it's JoeMatterese.com? Yeah, and my podcast is Fixing Joe. Take a listen. Yeah, he's got a good podcast. And Matterese, uh, if you don't know, is M-A-T-A-R-E-S-E. Uh, always good to talk to you, my friend. Have a good time. Tell Artie Lang I said what's up, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, later, buddy. All right.